First Timothy chapter 3, we're going to continue looking at the concept of deacons in the church, or the church in general, and then uh, focusing in on, on deacons, the role of deacons, the qualifications of deacons. So I'll read the entire chapter, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and then we'll begin in verse 8. We'll probably just get through a couple verses this morning uh, in regards to the qualifications. So 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning at verse 1. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. These things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly. But if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. Amen. Well, let us pray. O Lord, as we come to this passage of Scripture, we ask that you would open our hearts to understand the, the truths contained here, help, open, help us to understand the importance of them. Lord, I pray that you, would, that you would fill us with your Spirit. I pray for the power of the Spirit in preaching the Word, giving clarity of, of thought, clarity of speech. I pray for the Holy Spirit in helping us in understanding and listening, paying attention, uh, applying these truths in our lives. Father, we, and again we ask, Lord, to, for, the, for the work of the Spirit if, in the hearts of any here, if there be, Lord, uh, who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that the Spirit would work in the hearts there as well. Father, we ask that you would, uh, that you would be glorified here, and we pray, and we thank you, Lord, for your work in our church, that we can be uh, considering these passages and applying them in the life of our church and looking at adding deacons here. Lord, we thank you for, for that um, blessing, and we pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so last time we spent some time looking at just the general uh, structure, organization of the church. The church is not just a free-for-all where people can just come together and, 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 and get together and hang out on a, on a Sunday. Um, the church, had, there is structure to the church. The church is, as Paul says in verse uh, 14, 15, of chapter 3 here that, that he's writing these things. He's hoping to visit them, but he, he, might, he doesn't know when he's going to get there. So he's writing this 
Verse 15, so that you know how you ought to conduct yourselves in the house of God. It, we might say how you ought to structure your the, the, the church. So the house of God, which is the church of the living God. House of God, probably better translated as household of God. So that it is all the people who belong to the household of God. This is how the church needs to be structured. This is how you ought to organize yourselves. And, he's, and so he's summing up what he just um, said in the first... 13 verses there concerning elders and deacons. He's given very specific qualifications um, and, and the, the need to have uniquely qualified men to fill these uniquely uh, or these unique roles and specific offices in the church. So, as I said, we don't want every man doing what is right in his own eyes. We, when that happened in the Old Testament, the Old Testament people of God, back in the, in the book of the Judges, the days of the Judges, when everybody did what was right in their own eyes, it ended up in chaos. The reason for, for that was because there was no king in the land. There was no leadership there for the people, for the Old Testament people of God. Well, when the New Testament people of God do the same thing, everyone does what is right in his own eyes, New Testament people of God, of course, being the church. When everyone does what is right in their own eyes, it's going to end in chaos as well. There has to be structure. There has to be um, structure in order to maintain order and to, to ensure that the church upholds her purpose. The, 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 the purpose that Paul gives us here is that in verse 15 is that the church, the, the, the household of God, which is the church of the living God, is the pillar and ground or the pillar and mainstay or buttress of the truth. So the role of the church is to uphold the truth, uphold the truth that was once for all delivered to the saints, to, um, and, and, and that's contained in the Bible there, to uphold that truth both in doctrine, so in, in teaching, and also in practice as well. That thought, it's not just so that everybody has a lot of head knowledge about, about the, the doctrines, the truths contained in Scripture, but how do we apply that in our lives? How is that, that our practice also um, is in accordance with the truth? So the, the, the church is then to ensure that the, the truth is the truth concerning Christ, concerning, um, concerning, concerning God, all of these, uh, the, the, the mystery we'll look at in a minute here, the mystery of God, that that truth is upheld through the ages that, and that the church lives that out and, and uh, you know, in the, through the Christ-like character of the lives of the members. So, in order to maintain that purpose, in order to, to be able to, uh, to do so, Christ implemented structure in the church. He instituted the office, office of elders and deacons. Last time we, we saw it, elders are called overseers, or they're called shepherds. They are appointed as the steward. Steward means household manager. So if the church is God's household, the elders then are the managers, the household managers of God's household. So the, the apostles, they were the ones whom Christ um, immediately or, or without or directly, maybe we could say, um, directly appointed for that purpose then of teaching the truth, teaching the, teaching the, the truths of the gospel to, uh, to the people. But then as the apostles went around and they planted churches, then they appointed elders. They were they were instructed to do that. Appoint elders in every city. So and then the elders would take up that role and that charge in the church of of teaching the the people the truth and and managing the household 
teaching them, teaching them, as Christ had said, all things whatsoever I have commanded you, Matthew 28. But then elders are also instructed to teach these things to other men, who to raise up other elders, so that they can, uh, so that they can teach others as well. So turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2 for a second. 2 Timothy 2, verse, uh, verse 2, And the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men, who, who then in turn will be able to teach others also. So you, you see that, that passing on of the truth. And you can see that, that here's the emphasis of the, of the, the church upholding the truth. The church being the, the, the pillar and the, and the buttress, the mainstay, holding up the, the, um, holding up the truth there. But elders are, are, are not simply just to identify other elders, but, um, you know, and raising up other um, more men to lead in the church, but they are they are to be seeing over the spiritual growth the, and the and the well-being, spiritual health of the entire body. This is primarily what we focused on last time. There that they watch over the souls of the flock. That they ensure that truth is being taught to the people. They they have to deal with those who would come and try to teach some a false doctrine of some sort. They have to be able to withstand that. They have to be able to um, to can, to ensure that that the people are growing in their knowledge, in the truth, and in their conformity to Christ. In Acts twenty, Paul talks to the Ephesian elders, and he says he says to them essentially he says he says Christ purchased these people with his own blood. He he, he bought them. He owns them. They're his. But he has made you responsible to take care of them. He's made you responsible to watch over them. So he says. So he says, take heed to them. Meaning, meaning, take care of them. Watch over them. Protect them. From in the truth. You know, they don't. They don't belong to you. They belong to Christ. But you are the manager, the household manager, to ensure that they remain, that they walk in the truth, and that they that they practice the truth in their through Christ-like living, and that's a big responsibility for the elders in the church. They they to to to, to take that seriously. That's a big responsibility, and therefore, then the um, for for that reason, also, is that the 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 members. Of the church, they have a big responsibility as well to submit to that oversight, to um, to submit to the oversight of the, of the household managers. And and I would argue that that probably much of the reason why the, we see in in the Western church such a spiritual weakness and spiritual chaos uh, today out there is that is that people are not willing to do this. People are not willing to submit. To church authority, and, and in the sense of, of willingly place themselves under a under the teaching of a biblically qualified elder, an elder who takes or, or elders who take seriously their role as the as the manager of, the, of of God's people. That we have such a wrong sense of the word manager. So maybe maybe I should again re reiterate leading them into truth. Seeing to their conformity to Christ, but the, but but there's such an unwillingness out there. People don't want to submit to that. They 
and, and to be shepherded by a, a teacher like that, one, who's, one who has been qualified for that, to lead them there. Everyone wants to do what is right in their own eyes. Everyone wants to do theology you know, with just me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit. And, and, and don't you ever dare tell me that I might be in error. You know, and, and in me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit, that might sound good. But in reality, as we see, that's not what Christ intended. And that's not how he structured the church. It's, it, is, it is elders who are to be solid in the truth, learning, and, and, um, and, and, and then teaching that to the people. That doesn't mean that we are to just find any church and go there and blindly accept you know, everything that the pastor teaches without question. We ought to still be like those good Bereans who, who examined everything that they, that they learned and that they heard with the scriptures to, to ensure that it lined up. But we, we are to put ourselves under the oversight of a biblically qualified elder, to be willing to, to learn from him, be willing to be led. That's Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. We looked at this last time, but he says, he says submit, um, or obey, sorry, verse 17. Obey those who, who rule over you or who lead you. But the word obey there is not, um, it, it, it's, it's the passive tense of the verb to be persuaded or, or to persuade. So it's be persuaded by those who lead you. Meaning meaning allow yourself to be taught, allow yourself to be led. Think of a think of sheep and shepherd for a minute for a moment. If if a, a shepherd is leading and he has to he has to persuade the sheep to follow him, um, you know that's the that's the idea here. Allow yourself to be led, to be shepherded by someone here. And again, we, we, we're not looking so much at the qualifications of elders and stuff, but it's so important that we have qualified elders that, so that we can trust ourselves into their care. So, um, so we have to, as members of the church, submit to, to, to the leaders, the household managers that God has Instituted, God has qualified, God has put there. It is for your spiritual growth and for your conformity to Christ. It is, it is of utmost importance. Now, elders need to have this same mindset. They, they, they should, elders can't be teaching from a me, me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit mentality either. Remember what I said back at the beginning. Christ, can, Christ passed the truth or taught his apostles immediately. They went around and taught elders. Those elders taught other ones who were able to teach more. Again, the truth, the church has... Um, has has been the pillar and buttress of truth. So as elders are, are teaching and are studying and are studying in order to teach, it shouldn't be me, just me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit. We have to look. What did the church teach historically concerning the truth? Because I guarantee you, nobody will read. Nobody will will be able to read their Bible with just me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit, and be able to come up with a Trinitarian, um, you know. Um, theology or, or, or Christology like we have in the Nicene Creed and in the, the Chalcedon Creed, those things from the, where the church got together. Somebody said Jesus is, a, Jesus is the most ultimate um, creature. Arius taught that. And the church said, hang on a second, we need to figure this out. We need to hash this out. They got together and they, they put it in, into, they, they established what is the you know, what, is, what does the Bible teach concerning Christ? They explained it. And that's why we have things like the Nicene Creed. So 
we can still, we can take the Nicene Creed, and we can take the Chalcedonian Creeds and things like that. We can be like the good Berean, and we can go back to the, um, and, and, and take those, and all that's in there, and compare it with the Scripture. And, you know, the Scripture is the ultimate, final, God-breathed authority. There's no authority necessarily in the, um, well, there is, but not in that extent, in the Nicene Creed and those things. But we take that back to Scripture, and we can say, oh, hey, everything actually does stack up with the Scriptures. But we probably would not have, or I guarantee you, we would not have been able to um, to get to that point with just me, my Bible, and the Holy Spirit. But that's sort of a different topic. But um, but again, it's important. We, 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 the church is there for that purpose, upholding the truth. Elders then are the managers in the household overseeing the, um, the, the, the overall care of the church. Again, primarily the spiritual growth in, in the grace and knowledge and then also the practical living out of that. So that, so that if the pastor, the pastor sees somebody not applying these things in life, not, not living, excuse me, Christ-like, that, that they can lead them and they can say, brother, sister, this is, you know, this is, you know, this is how we ought to be living. And so then the members need to be willing to listen, willing to be led by that. But we know there's also a lot more um, than just, than just um, spiritual care, spiritual nourishment. There's, there's, there's a lot of practical needs, a lot of physical needs in the church as well. And... In order for those physical and practical needs to not distract the elders from, from that primary role of the spiritual health of the church, then we see the deacon, uh, the office of deacons, then as well in First Timothy chapter three, and deacons then primarily, as we saw last time, is they, they are to take up those practical and and maybe physical responsibilities. Of the church as the as an assistant to the elder, assisting assisting in the care of the flock. The elder still remains the the, the overseer, the steward, the, the manager. It's not that the deacons become a sort of an independent um, and autonomous body separate from the elders. No, they're still under the the leadership of the elders, but they're there to assist him in the care of the church, primarily again in those physical practical. Needs. Now we have to be careful that we're not we're not completely separating the two, and we're and we're not saying that um, that deacons can only take care of physical things and only take care of of practical needs in the church. That they don't do any spiritual feeding or counseling. That's that's not true. I would I would argue that they would they would be definitely part of that. And now also we can or to say that a deacon could never preach a sermon. Think of Stephen, the the martyr. He was one of the seven chosen in Acts six to be the um, to be those ones who were going to serve as deacons. We don't the, the, the office wasn't not mentioned as officially as deacons, but that was essentially was what they did. Assisted the apostles. Stephen was one of those. But where do we find Stephen a couple chapters later preaching an amazing sermon that convicts and gets him killed essentially. So there, there's it's not like we separate the two offices completely. Elders. Elders, you know, and, and, and or say that elders can only be teaching and only be uh, be be praying for the people, you know, that the elder that's beneath him to pick up garbage from the, from the 
you know, from the church floor or, or, you know, or having any say in the use of the finances of the church, for example. You know, that's not the case. The, um, the deacon works under the elder as his assistant, being delegated tasks and, and roles that would distract the elders from their focus of providing the spiritual oversight to the flock. So, when we understand it that way, then it makes sense why Paul here in 1 Timothy gives us these very specific qualifications for a man in this role that he would have to meet. If he's going to be given responsibilities that have to do with, with the care and oversight of the church, he needs to have these certain character qualifications to, to ensure that he's going to carry out these, uh, these roles and these duties um, in, in a proper manner. He needs to have the same mindset as the elders, the, the general well-being of the flock. He cannot be in this position for any type of self-seeking purposes. So let's look at some of these qualifications here. Verse 8 starts out by saying, likewise, the deacons. So, so he just laid out qualifications for elders. Elders must be men of, of godly, Christian character and, and leading uh, to, if they're going to, in order to be qualified to lead in the church of Christ. Well, likewise, if deacons are to be doing that as well, they too need to exemplify godly Christian character. And then, but there's especially a few distinct areas that he's going to focus on that we have to, uh, that they need to, to especially, especially display this, uh, this, this godly character. So verse 8, then deacons must be reverent, says the new King James. The, the old King James says they must be grave. And I think perhaps this, this gives us the wrong impression um, that, that he has to be somber and serious. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's not the idea there. The, 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 um, the word semnos, Greek, uh, worthy of respect or dignified. That's the, um, or worthy of honor. That is the, um, that's the meaning of that word there. A deacon Deacon needs to be a respectable and an honorable man. Think of Acts 6, when, they, when they, the, uh, the, the apostles said, remember the situation, the, the Hellenist uh, widows felt like they were not being given the same care as the Jewish ones. And they, uh, so the apostles said, okay, seek out from you seven men, what, of good reputation. Seven honorable, respectable men. So, how do we know if someone is honorable and someone's respectable? I think generally we just sort of have a, we just, it just sort of almost comes naturally, but what, is the, what does the Bible say about that? Think back, think of our, our study in Proverbs. We were, we were talking a lot about honor, and uh, turn back, turn to Proverbs chapter 3 for a moment. How does, how does someone, what makes someone worthy of respect, worthy of honor, Chapter 3, starting at verse 1. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and long life and peace they will add to you. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so you'll find favor and high esteem or honor in the sight of God and man. Now, look at um, verse 16 of chapter 3. So verse 13 tells us, Happy or blessed is the man who finds wisdom, a man who gains understanding. And then verse 16, 
talking about wisdom now, length of days is in her right hand, and in her left hand riches and honor. Jump ahead to chapter 4, verse 7. Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom, and in all you're getting, get understanding. Exalt her, and she will promote you. She will bring you honor when you embrace her. She will place on your head an ornament of grace and a crown of glory she will deliver to you. So how does a person have become a person of honor and, and of respect in the church? Well, it's a person who, who displays wisdom. What have we seen in our study of Proverbs? What is wisdom? Christ-like character. So, so, so the, 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 the qualification here, the deacon, must be a person of exemplary, godly character. He must exhibit wisdom in his life. Proverbs 29, verse 23, A man's pride will bring him low, but the humble in spirit will retain honor. So a deacon cannot be a haughty person, cannot be, be a self-seeking person, but, but he needs to be humble, he needs to be there to serve others, and he must be a godly, um, as I said, exemplary, being an example for the others of what Christian of what Christian character is. He must exhibit wisdom in his life, Christ-likeness in his life. That is, that is how we know. Is he, is he a person worthy of respect? Is he a person worthy of honor? So we might say this first, this first qualification here in 1 Timothy 3 is sort of overarching and, uh, and that, that he just, just has to exhibit godly, general godly character in his life um, and, and, and that is worthy of respect and honor. But we know nobody's perfect. We all have our different struggles, different, different areas where we're not as Christ-like as we ought to be. But, um, and, and, you know, we, we, we certain areas where we have not reached that level of sanctification as we, as we ought. But Paul identifies here for us three areas in, in, a, in a deacon's life where he must be, he must not be able to, he must not struggle in those areas. Let's put it that way. He must, he must especially show godliness in uh, in these three areas, so the use of the tongue. This is uh, this is verse eight. We have the use of the tongue. We have restraint when it comes to to the use of alcohol or other substances, any other type of, of of addictions, and then greed. So these three things. These are three common vices among God's people. Here we're so we're we're so prone to be to to speak in an ungodly way. We're, we're prone to be controlled by something else other than, other than the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's not alcohol as he, as he uh, lists here, but we can extrapolate from that um, that we're slaves to something else in life. And also greed. That, that uh, again, it, these are all things that, that we, we all struggle with. And, but a deacon must exemplify godly character in those areas. So it says he cannot be double-tongued. Dialogos is the is the Greek there. Two worded. He can't. We might say uh, we might say that he he cannot um, or that, that he shouldn't speak out of both sides of his mouth or that he's that he can't be two faced. 
um, saying one thing to, to one person, something else to another person, being insincere there. He has to be truthful. His word has to be dependable. Again, think about that situation in Acts chapter 6 with these widows. Here, they were they were feeling like they were left out. There's a bit of there's a bit of, of, of tension there, we might say. That that you know we're we're being left out because we're you know we're Hellenists, we're Greek, as opposed to uh, to the Jews, uh, the Jewish um, Christian widows there. So if these men went to the went to the Hellenist widows and then and then said to them, you know, like, oh here's you know, here's some food and here's here's some money and uh, you know Ask how, how you're doing, you know, we're, we're, we're glad you're part of our church and, and, and all this, we're praying for you. Then they go back to the apostles and then they say, you know, oh, they're, you know, they're, they're so needy and why don't, you know, and have something, some other story to say or to speak out the other side of their mouth concerning these widows. You know, that's, that's insincerity. That's, you know, that's being two word. That's being double tongue. Um, we, we don't want that. A deacon is often going to find himself in his role. will find himself, like these men in Acts chapter 6, as that sort of go-between between, uh, between the elders and the members. Uh, not necessarily that there's always going to be that there's conflict, but that he's just going to be the, the go-between there. So he cannot, he cannot be, um, he cannot be double-tongued. We, we need, they need to be sincere in their dealings. In, insincerity is only going to promote distrust and, and, and hurt feelings and, and disunity in the church. We, we cannot have that there, especially between the, 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 the officers and the, and the flock and the members there. We need unity, we want love, we want trust. So a deacon's word must be trustworthy if he is going to be able to fulfill his role as a deacon. And then it tells us that here that he cannot be addicted to much wine or not given to much wine. I think it's we, we're probably aware by now this does not mean that he cannot drink alcohol. This also does not mean that he should not drink alcohol. I think there's prominent men in the church uh, today who teach that, well, this, this means they shouldn't. And, you know, just because it doesn't say they can't. No, that's not what he's, that's not what Paul is, uh, is saying here. This means that he cannot be controlled. By alcohol. Turn back to turn to Proverbs again. Proverbs chapter twenty. Verse one. Wine is a mocker, strong drink is a brawler, and whoever is led astray by it is not wise. So being led astray by alcohol, lead, alcohol leading you, you're under its control. It's leading you, leading you astray and it's not wise remember wisdom wisdom is that is that godly character we're looking for being led astray by alcohol is not wise it leads into the way of the fool it, it's and again this is not this is not just simply drunkenness i think that we can apply this to here this is you know drunkenness of course it's going to prevent you for one no one is nobody's supposed to be drunk not not just the the officers in the church. No Christian is supposed to is supposed to be um, drink to the point of drunkenness. Excuse me, <clears throat> but um, we have to again. This is this. The idea here is is control. Ephesians chapter five. Ephesians chapter five. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18. Do not be drunk with wine. So this is, this is a charge going to all Christians. Do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation or debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Why is he contrasting drunkenness with being filled with the Spirit? Well, it's which one... He, we're not allowed to be led by alcohol, being controlled by alcohol. We need to be led and controlled by the Holy Spirit. We need, the, we need to allow the Holy Spirit to lead us and to follow that leading rather than to be led by alcohol. And again, we can apply this to any substances. Just, you know, substances, when I, what I mean by that is just drugs. You know, any, any type of, uh, of, of, of drug. Maybe they didn't have the same things that we have in this day and age, but definitely we can say, you know, he can't be addicted to drugs. That's sort of an obvious one. But I think we need to extrapolate even a little bit farther beyond that and think of other things in life that may control a person, lead him astray, lead him, lead him in the way of the fool. Gambling might be one. Pornography might be uh, might be another one. These uh, addictions that that lead us astray. These are just again. That's just two examples. There could be anything in a person's life that controls him to the point where he's no longer led by the Spirit, no longer living Christ-like in that um, in there, but being led in the way of the fool. A deacon must be controlled by the Holy Spirit, must be, must be a slave of Christ. He cannot have anything in his life that will control him and cause him to be un-Christ-like. So that's the, that's, uh, that's the second one there. So we have, he can't be a double talker, he can't, be, uh, can't have addictions, controls in his life. Um, and he also cannot be greedy for money, is the is the third one there in verse 8. He cannot be, um, he cannot be fond of, of sordid gain or dishonest gain. I like the word sordid. I think that's what the NASB translates it as. Um, sordid means, it means dirty. The, the King James says he, he cannot um, be greedy for filthy lucre. That's a good way. It's, it's just dirty, profiting in a dirty way. He cannot, he, a deacon cannot be in the pursuit of, of riches, Pursuit of money, where he's willing to do it in a, in a in a dishonest, dirty way. Again, remember, think of Proverbs. We we the, the way of the fool in Proverbs one. Solomon warned his son. He said, "Stay away from, stay away from from these kinds of people." Verse ten. He says, "My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie in wait to shed blood. Let us lurk secretly for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them alive like Sheol and whole like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all kinds of precious possessions or, or wealth. We shall fill our houses with the spoil. Cast in your lot among us and let us all have one purse. He says, my, 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 my son, do not walk in the way of men. Keep your foot from their, from their path. They, their feet run to evil. They make haste to shed blood. And then he goes on, verse 19, So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. So that's the, that was the way of the fool. Dirty money, filthy lucre, being willing to harm others, to do dishonest things, just simply for the sake of increasing his own purse, his own, you know, his own possessions. We, we, a deacon cannot be like that. If, if, if somebody is prone to that sins, prone to be willing to to just you know do 
dip into the gray area even sometimes. I, um, you know, when it comes to, to, to finances and increasing our, our wealth, they, if someone is, is prone to that, they cannot be qualified, they're not qualified then to be a deacon. We need men who are honest, honest in business, honest in, in, in finances, or not into any type of shady business to increase their, their, own, their own wallet. Cheating on your taxes. You know, this, that, that would fall into that category. Now, we might not know if, 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 you know, someone is cheating on their taxes, but generally we have a pretty good idea in knowing people's character. Um, are they, um, if they're an honest person or if they're, um, you know, or, or as I said, it's, it's pretty, generally, it's pretty easy to, to tell somebody has a desire to be rich and is willing to do do that in dirty ways and shady ways. So, bottom line, we don't want somebody who is controlled by money. Turn to First Timothy chapter six for a moment. First Timothy chapter six, verse nine. Here, that those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare, and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. So that's the having that desire for personal gain it's, it, it is um, dangerous. And if you're willing to go to, to, uh, to shady ways to get, it, to get about it you are not qualified to be a deacon. It does not mean that a deacon um, that if a person is financially successful, that he can't be a deacon. That's not um, that's not at all what it's what it's saying here. We, as we've seen in Proverbs, when you do things God's way, when you do things in in a wise way, in a Christ-like way, when it comes to your work ethic, when it comes to your your money practices, God blesses that, and people do you do get rich. We just read that in in, in chapter three. That is the way to it, it's it's a it's a byproduct we might say of living in a wise and godly way. So therefore, of course, then a, a rich person, someone who's who's exhibited godly character, and the Lord has blessed that, that doesn't mean then that just because he's financially successful that he can't be a deacon. It means that a deacon cannot desire riches where he is controlled by that desire. Because think of it, often, most often, deacons end up being the ones who steward the finances of the church, um, collecting Handing, handing it out, give, um, you know, allotting where it goes. He has to be able to handle money in a in a godly way, not tempted to line his own pockets. In any way. That's what Judas did. Remember Judas? He he was complaining that people weren't giving enough, but but the Bible tells us it was because because he put his own hand into the money box. He lined his own pockets from that. So the deacon then he has to exemplify. Overall, godly, Christ-like character in his life. He has to be especially sanctified in the area of the use of his tongue. That he's not, that he does not have a, a addictions to substances or practices that that lead to ungodliness, where he is, um, where uh, where he's controlled by by something else that leads him in the way of the fool, and he cannot be in the pursuit of riches um, for. Uh, 
for his own personal sake or for riches' sake. So that is that is the three the three main areas then in verse eight that we find or that, that he tells us in the in the deacon's life that we need to consider when we consider these brothers for the diaconate in our church. We consider these things. But there's more as well. Verse 9. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. So, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Verse 9 sort of gives us the, the, the foundation for his godly character. Because anybody, anybody can be a person of honor and respect. Anybody can be, you know, um, addiction free. Anyone can be honest in business practices and not willing to, to make, you know, dirty money. We probably can all think of somebody who, you know, they're not a Christian, but, but we say, you know, they're, they're a really good person. They're, they're honorable. They're a good businessman. They're, they're kind, whatever it may be, but yet they're not a Christian. Sometimes we have a hard time sort of reconciling how that could be, but it is reality. Um, it, it, it is. But they're... Um, you know that does not those types of people we we might we might we might have we might know someone like that maybe they even come to church they used to go to a, go to church with a guy like that Couldn't, the rest of his family was saved he wasn't yeah he was a good businessman he was you know he was a manager of a of a of a, of a big store and you know but that did that just because he was successful just because he was kind he wasn't addicted to anything does not qualify him for the position of a deacon. And we might say, well, obviously, you know, if, just because they're not, if they're not a Christian, they're not a member of Christ's church, why would we give them a position in the church? Um, you know, but it, but it happens. It, it happens. There's a, people are put into that position of deacon because they're good businessmen, because they're res respectable, kind people. And we think, you know, hey, they're, they're going to they're gonna help us in our, in our church, help us to, to you know, to, to function and, and achieve our vision and, and all that. That is, that is not to be. Paul says here he needs to hold the mystery of the faith. Or he needs, to, he needs to grasp the mystery of the faith. Now what does that mean? The mystery of the faith here. Paul often talks about that. The, that the, the, the mystery of the faith. The mystery was the, is the, the hidden truth in the Old Testament. Hidden but now revealed in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. The mystery is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, he says in 2 Corinthians 5, 19. The mystery is God's plan of redemption, always from the beginning, that he would make for himself a kingdom, a people, a household um, of, of redeemed and restored humanity through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the mystery. The mystery is is the gospel. The mystery is is Christ. That and that all who believe on Christ will have everlasting life. All who believe on Christ will belong to this to the to the to the household of God who will dwell with him for all of eternity. Now maybe that's a convoluted way of putting it all, but the mystery is just simply that Christ is is the Son of God. Actually look at verse 16. He tells us what the mystery is. Um, in chapter 3. This is the mystery of God. God was manifested in the flesh. That's, that's Christ. Justified or, or vindicated in the spirit. 
um, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. That's the mystery, the life, death, burial, resurrection, of and ascension of the Lord Jesus Christ as King of kings, Lord of lords. So, a deacon must have a grasp of that. Simplest way to say it, a deacon must be saved. A deacon must be a believer. He must belong to the church. He must understand the gospel there. And I would say it needs to be a solid understanding of the faith as well. If he's going to be a leader in the church, if he's going to assist the elders in the care of the church, if he's going to be delegated um, roles and things to do that all to have to do with the, with the well-being and, and especially the spiritual well-being of the church, he needs to be spiritually mature. He doesn't necessarily need to have the same um, the same level or the same. You know, yeah, the same level of knowledge, maybe as an elder, perhaps, but he needs to have a solid grasp of the truth of the truth of concerning the gospel of Christ. There, if he's if he's going to be pointing suffering saints to Christ, he has to be able to do that. I should say, um, suffering saints to Christ, he has to be able to point them to the hope that we have in of of eternal life in glory with him. He, these are the these are the truths that get us through that that encourage us and. Get us through the hard times in life. He has to be able to, he has to have a grasp on that. And he needs to do so with a clear conscience, he tells us here. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Unrepentant sin defiles the conscience. So that is what he, he, uh, he must not have unrepentant sin in his life. He's not to be perfect. Not looking for a perfect man because we would never we would never have elders or deacons in our church. But we but but we are looking or but the he cannot be harboring unrepentant sin in his life. He's he cannot have those things where he's where he continues where he's essentially where he's what he's controlled by um, in in uh, in. Verse 8 there, that he's not, not given to much wine, we extrapolate that, that he's not controlled by something else. This is essentially what he cannot have anything in his life that he's controlled by, that he's unwilling to, to repent of, unwilling to, to, um, to examine and to get rid of out of his life. And this is where, where self-examination needs to take place as well, brothers, is because we cannot... So we can't see your souls. We can't see your your consciences there. And sometimes, sometimes people are very good at hiding certain things. Paul says to Timothy in chapter five, he says some men's sins are. are he's talking about um, laying hands too quick on on someone. What verse is that? There are some men, some men's sins. Um, Twenty four. Some men's sins are clearly evident. Preceding them into judgment. So some men, it's just, their sins are obvious and it precedes them into judgment, essentially ushering them into, into judgment. But, but the sins of others follow later. So, so we might not, we might not um, be able to see these things. We, might, we cannot see consciences. But um, a deacon must have a clear conscience. Not a perfect record. But a clear conscience that he must know that if he sins, he can confess and he can forsake those sins, find forgiveness with God, and, and, and have his conscience cleared, essentially. But he 
cannot have unrepentant sin in his life that defiles the the conscience. So, so if a man he knows the faith, maybe a believer, he has a grasp on the faith, believes the faith, but if there's areas in his life that he does not live consistent with this faith, he's not qualified. We need to have holy deacons, godly deacons, um, and and elders as well, of course. And one man summed it up this way: that all of these. These qualifications so far in these in these uh, two verses, he says he says a deacon must be competent in Christian doctrine and consistent in Christian living. That's ultimately what it boils down to. Here, Christ has purchased every member of His church with His own blood. He's called them out of darkness. He's brought them into His kingdom. He's bringing them to glory there, but He has appointed leaders in the church to shepherd them along that path to glory. Those leaders need to lead by example, and therefore they need to be spiritually mature. They need to have a sound understanding of Christian doctrine and to live consistently with that. So we're not looking for perfect men. We're not looking uh, for complete men, to, to use Paul's language. There, but we're looking for spiritually mature men who exhibit this godly Christian character generally in their lives and especially in these three areas that we looked at. There's the use of the tongue, uh, being controlled by something other than the Spirit of Christ, and not given to given over to greed. So may God give us wisdom. And discernment as we as we consider these things, as we examine these two brothers, Hans and Brom, as it, over the next several months, have these things in mind when we when we um, when we consider this, as we examine them, as we test them, as he as he says in verse ten. We'll look at that next week. But let these also first be tested, and then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless in these areas. So let's have this in our mind, prayerfully, of course. As we, as we consider this, this is something we should take serious, that it, you know, deacons are not, as we try to make the point, deacons are not just somebody who's willing to donate their time in the church. No, deacons are uniquely qualified for a unique role in the, in the oversight and in the care of Christ's church. So may God be glorified in our church. May God be glorified through this process. Here, praise God that we're at this point. Just thought about it this morning as I started praying. This is a one-year um, anniversary, if you want to call it that, of this church. We, one year ago, we we had our first service up in the in the little hall up in um, Grandview Bench. Here we are a year later. God has blessed us immensely. Working towards now adding deacons into our church. Praise God for His goodness to us and. Praise God we can celebrate the supper as well together here next. And remember that that's the reason why we're all here is because of Christ, because of his giving up of himself so that we might have everlasting life. So 